Ben's laughing at me because last week I preached the first three minutes of the message without my mic on, and so I feel like I'm showing real growth right now. Uh, who here, quick survey, if you don't like surveys, uh, sorry, we're going to take one anyway. A uh, quick survey, how many people here have ever been discouraged before? Show of hands. If you, if you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. Uh, all of us have been discouraged at one point or another in our lives. Sometimes we are discouraged for uh, reasons that seem small and trite. I grew up in Michigan, and so I was discouraged all of the winter, right? <laughs> December and January and February, October and November, March and half of April. It was miserable. It was gray. I never saw the sun. I was just down in the dumps. Occasionally, I look back in my life and I see times when I was discouraged for seemingly small or insignificant reasons. There are other times when we're discouraged and we don't know why. A couple months ago, I was sitting at the breakfast table. Amelia, our little seven-year-old, was preparing for school. She was going to leave in five minutes. And I looked over at her as she was eating her cereal and she had tears in her eyes. And I said, Amelia, what is wrong? Why are you crying? And she said, I don't know. And I said, Melissa. <laughs> there are other times in life when we are discouraged for uh, legitimate, weighty, and heavy reasons. Maybe you have lost a love. Uh, maybe there was someone in your life who you thought would be there till the end, and they no longer are. Uh, maybe you look around as you get older, and you see uh, all of your friends fall in love and get married and start families, and their story is not your story. Maybe there are times in life when you sit back and you think, I had a plan uh, for my life and how things would go, and things are not panning out the way that you thought they would. And because of that, uh, you get discouraged. Uh, all of us have battled with discouragement at one point or another. And so this morning, uh, I want to spend some time encouraging you. I want you to leave this morning as an encouraged people. Uh, we are in a series called One Another. We're talking about uh, the one another's that we read about in the New Testament. At Christ Point, it's our desire and passion to point people to Jesus. And we really believe that one of the most effective ways that we do that is by experiencing authentic community. And so the New Testament paints a picture for us of what that looks like. Last week, we talked about loving one another. This week, I want us to think together about encouraging uh, one another. And our text is going to be 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles... Please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. It's always a little dangerous to uh, jump into a middle, uh, to the middle of a book or the very end of the book. And so uh, I want us to kind of think together about creating some context for the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, the, the church in Thessalonica was started by Paul and Silas, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 17. Uh, Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica. Uh, Paul, as oftentimes was the case, went into the temple, and on the Sabbath, he preached three Sabbaths in a row. Uh, he talked about why Jesus uh, had to come and die and uh, be brought back to life. He reasoned with the people, 
in Scripture said that there were some people who heard Paul's words, they believed, and they followed Christ, and then other people heard the words of Paul, and uh, needless to say, they didn't have the same reaction. As a matter of fact, there were a group of Jews, we're told in Acts chapter uh, 17, uh, that did not like his message. And so it says, um, what, and this is Acts 17 verse 18, what does this babbler wish to say? Uh, others said he seems to be a preacher of uh, foreign divinities. And so they, they hear the preaching of Paul, they're actually angered by it. It says earlier in Acts chapter 17, verse 5, but the Jews were jealous, taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. And I love what they shouted. The, the Jewish uh, leaders and authorities and people are looking to find Paul and Silas so they can bring them before the authorities. They can't find them, and so they grab Jason because uh, they're like, hey, we saw that you're running with him. And they bring him before the authorities, and they say these words. This is Acts chapter uh, 17, verse uh, 6. It says, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And I just, I just love that idea. They, they hear Paul and Silas. They experience their ministry. And they say, hey, these people who have turned the world upside down. And this is what the gospel does. The gospel uh, goes out and it changes hearts and lives. Right? It changes our homes and it changes our neighborhoods, our schools, our places of work. And it turns the world upside down. The, the climate in Thessalonica became such that it was dangerous for Paul and Silas to remain. And so they rolled out, they left, but they still had a soft spot in their hearts for Thessalonica. And so they write this letter to this church that's experiencing persecution, and they want to encourage them to remain faithful, uh, and they also want to encourage them to continue to grow in their relationship with the Lord. Right? And so if you were to read the book, there's three particular prayers in the book. There's a prayer in the beginning, right in the middle, and there's a prayer at the end. We're going to pick back up right before that last prayer in 1 Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need, uh, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Right, so um, Paul talks about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord oftentimes in Scripture is a time uh, to be uh, feared, uh, oftentimes when you think about the day of the Lord, you might think about the book of Revelation. Maybe you think about someone with a sandwich board standing on the street corner, uh, yelling at people, telling them that the world is going to come to an end. The, the day of the Lord for, for some is a time to be feared because Scripture says that uh, the day will come like a thief in the night. Uh, have you ever experienced a time in your life where your home or your car 
has been broken into. I don't know if, you've, if that's happened to you before, uh, but if it has, it's incredibly unsettling. A few years ago, Melissa and I were selling our house in Highland Creek, and we were putting it up on the market on a Friday, uh, and it just so happened that Melissa was leaving town. Uh, she was going to Atlanta for a worship conference. Uh, I was going to be at home uh, raising my children, which I am totally capable of doing, uh, and cleaning the house so we could put it up for sale. It was Friday night. Melissa had left already. She was gone, and so I was in charge of dinner, uh, which meant I was going to pick up the pizza. And so I told my children, uh, I'm leaving. I'm going to pick up the pizza. I'll be home in 20 minutes. Like, it was just down the block. I was going to be gone long. And so I leave the house. Uh, I lock the house front door after me, and I start driving to the pizza place. And I remember I was talking on the phone with a friend. And uh, as I was talking to my friend on the phone, I look down at my phone, and I see that my oldest son uh, is calling me. And me being uh, the good father that I am, I ignored his call because I was talking to uh, my friend. And my son had the wherewithal to call me immediately back. And when he called a second time, I thought to myself, this is probably not good. And so I told my friend, listen, I have to go. My son is calling me. He's called a couple times. And I pick up the phone, and I said, Cademan, is everything okay? And he said, Dad, Dad, they're in the house. And I said, who is in the house? And he said, I don't know. They're in the house. And I'm like, where are you? And he said, I am behind the couch. I'm behind the couch. Dad, they're in the house. And I'm like, how many are there? And he's like, there's three. There's three of them. And I'm like, holy smokes. I'm like, hang tight. I'm like, I'm, I'm coming home. I'll be right back. And a minute later, I'm like, Cademan, where are they now? And he's like, Dad, they're outside in the driveway. They're just waiting there. And, and then it dawned on me. Like the next day, we had four or five showings on our house. And, and, and a real estate agent, bless her heart, um, mixed up the days. And so she came over to our house at about 5 or 5.30, took out the key from the little lockbox, and opened up the door and walked into our house with this other couple. Right now, so you're, you're 12, 11, you're 9, you're 5, and there are strangers in uh, the house. And you can imagine how unsettling that feels. And so I told Cademan, Cademan, I'm almost home. I'm coming back. And then I had the wherewithal to go, is the house clean? <laughs> and he's like, I'm, yeah, yeah, it's clean. I'm taking some stuff. I put it in the closet. It's clean. And I'm like, he's like, are you almost home? Are you almost home? I'm like, buddy, I'm coming. I'm like two minutes away. And then I hear him go, oh, oh no, oh, no, oh, no. And I go, Cademan, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, Amelia just threw up. He goes, she just threw up on the couch. And I thought, oh, no, oh, no. Think, James, think. I said, Cademan, is it, like, is it like chunky or is it liquid? And he goes, it's liquid, it's liquid. I go, flip the cushion, flip the cushion. <laughs> and, so, and so he flips the couch. I come home, I grab my three children and my Jack Russell Terrier. The family is out in the driveway. I'm like, it's perfectly all right. We got it. Don't worry, don't worry. Because I'm like, this could be the one. This could be the one. Now imagine for a moment that you're that kid and someone comes into your home unexpectedly. 
But you're not, you're not waiting for them. You didn't plan for them. You didn't set out a plate for them. Right? Scripture says this day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. It's, it's going to surprise and catch us off guard. And you hear that and you think to yourself, that is, that is absolutely frightening. But this day that Scripture talks about, um, those who know God and love God and follow Jesus uh, perceive this differently. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, when Scripture would talk about Passover, there were times when it was referred to by the G- Jewish people as the day. Like it was actually a, a day of deliverance. It was actually a day when God would take that which is crooked and make it straight, where he would right uh, the wrongs. And so Paul writes to the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse uh, 4, and says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Verse 6, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or sleep, we might live with him. him. And then verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, uh, just as you are doing. Right, so God calls us as the people of God to have a certain soberness as we live life. Because we are people of the light, but we recognize the, the darkness around us. We, we know that we live in a world that is, that's broken and it's hardwired not to work, that there are things that happen to us all of the time that we don't want to have happen to us. And so we, we grieve, and we experience loss, and we lament. A couple weeks ago, I was downtown talking to Cademan's soccer coach, and he has a ministry down in Charlotte called 1-7, and they have a number of apartments there. There's, I think, 13 or 15 apartments where, um, where refugees and people just from horrific situations come, and he offers them a place uh, to live. And he was telling me a story about how a group of people had kind of come in to um, replace the HVAC systems in these apartments, and they were um, kind of appalled at the shape that some of these apartments were in. And I remember talking to David, and he was like, James, what, what people don't understand oftentimes is that, that, that some of these people that are experiencing brokenness um, are, are struggling and wrestling with things that are not going to get better on this side of heaven. Like, like for some of them, they're, they're just, they're trying to get by and they're trying to survive. And there's some situations where you can't just wave a magic wand and everything is fixed. Right, so as a, as a people of God, we experience life in a world that is, it is broken. And so we have a certain soberness, but we are not uh, without hope. And so Paul says to the church, encourage uh, one another. Encourage one another and build one another up just as uh, you are doing. Why do we encourage one another? We encourage one another because we serve a God of encouragement. Uh, The triune God, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, is a God of encouragement. Romans chapter 15 verse 5 says, He is the God who gives endurance and encouragement. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16, speaking of Jesus, it says, We pray that our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father will encourage you and help you always to do and say the right thing. And so God the Father is a God of encouragement. God the Son, Jesus, is the God of encouragement. And we read the same thing about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14 through 16, when Jesus is talking about how the, how the Spirit is going to come to be with us, to be with uh, the people of God, he uses the word parakletos. And parakletos is the noun form for the word encouragement. Right? It means to come alongside of someone or to come uh, to someone's aid. It's a, a helper or someone who comes alongside and calls out. So, so the God that we serve is a God of encouragement. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit wants to encourage uh, your heart. And so um, what, what does it look like for us to, to be encouraged? What does it look like for us to be encouraged? I was just thinking of the, the last couple weeks in my own life, there have been specific times where God has encouraged me. Uh, two weeks ago on a Monday morning, I was in the office and I received a text message from my friend Jason. You guys don't know uh, Jason, but Jason was a guy who I went to college with. I didn't know him well when I was in college. I simply knew of him. Uh, he was the SGA chaplain. He would uh, preach on Friday mornings in, in chapel, and he just was so gifted. Uh, he was funny. Uh, he was a compelling leader. He was the guy, quite honestly, that when I came in, I looked up to him. I didn't know him, uh, but I looked up to him. Melissa was friends with uh, his, his wife, and through some circumstances over the last number of months, we were able uh, to get in touch with him and his wife. And uh, Melissa and I drove down probably four or five months ago, and we had dinner with him in Gaffney, um, South Carolina. Have you been to Gaffney before? It's a beautiful place said no one, uh, but ever, but we had, we had, if you're from Gaffney, God still loves you, I'm just messing with you, uh, we, we had dinner with them, and it was fun, like, we just hung out with them for a couple of hours, and, uh, we came back home, and, uh, a month or two after that, I texted them, I was like, hey, Jason, like, could I come and hang out with you in, in your staff, just for, like, an afternoon, or, like, can we meet together for lunch, and he's like, yeah, he's like, come on down, He's like, spend, spend the day. He's like, you can, you can meet some of our staff. And um, I just love what they're doing. They have this really cool model where they have like th three or four campuses, but um, they're all smaller. They're like two, 300 people. And they have this uh, interdependent leadership model where there's not like one guy who's a real big deal and calling all the shots. They just, they have this, this beautiful staff and they function the way that God has gifted and equipped them. And so I wanted to learn more. I wanted to hear more. And so I drove down there and I spent the day with him. Anyways, I came back. This was like two months ago. And I hadn't heard from him since then. Um, but on Monday morning, I'm, I'm prepping for a message. And I get a, a text message from uh, Jason. And he said, um, can, I, like, can I have your address? And I was like, like, okay, like, sure. And so I send him the address for the church. And he goes, he goes, I just want you to know that um, we, we want to send your, your church a check. Um, we, we are for you. We are cheering for you. We are praying for you. Um, like, like, keep pressing. Right? Keep pressing, brother. And I just thought, man, that is so beautiful. I told Seth, who does our finances, I'm like, I don't know if the staff is going to be able to go out for coffee or if we're going to be able to buy a fog machine. But, <laughs> but, but it... 
Like it doesn't even matter. Like I just thought, how cool is that for someone that I hardly even know to go like, you are a partner in ministry. And we are praying for you and we want God's best for you. I was so blown away by that. Last week, last Wednesday, I, I uh, went to Maple Street Biscuit Company with our, our, our men that gather. And I looked around and there was, there was a dozen dudes at 6 o'clock in the morning. I was like, this is like, like revival. I mean, for 6 a.m. I mean, it was huge. Like, I start looking around. I start looking around, and I'm like, this is like the disciples. Right? This is like the disciples. I'm like, there's like Peter and James and John. And then I started thinking to myself, who do you think is Judas? <laughs> I have some ideas. I'm not going to name names. We're going to see how it plays out. But I just thought, man, how, like, how cool is that? And I was just blown away because I thought of, I thought of Russ and just his faithfulness uh, on Wednesday mornings or his faithfulness on Sunday morning, whether there's, like, there's 2 or 12 or 20. Like he just shows up, and I just was so encouraged by that because we want our people to connect in community. And just because they show up and present doesn't mean that life change is going to happen. But listen, when you are in the game, your chances of scoring a bucket increase. Right? So, so there's something about just showing up. And I thought, man, that's so cool. And then, and then just last week, there was uh, someone that over the years I have um, developed a friendship with, and he, uh, he sent me an, an email. And at the end of his, his email, he, he said these words. He says, James, I love you immensely. We are tied for life. And I just thought, Lord, thank you. I mean, that's what, that's what God says to us. Like, I love you immensely. Like, we are tied for life. When we encourage one another, we breathe life into one another. Encouragement is life-giving. This is true of every area in life. It's true in our marriages. I read recently uh, a quote from Dr. John Gottman who identified interesting characteristics of happy couples. Right? He said, healthy homes enjoy a positive to negative ratio of five to one. I have no idea if you can prove that or it's true. But I think that there's something there. Right? In other words, something that's helpful for your marriage is spending time to heap praise on your husband or your wife as opposed to criticism. In business, similar results were found. One study of effective leadership styles revealed that high-performing teams experience positive to negative ratios of six positive comments for every negative comment. Low-performing teams, conversely, had an average of three negative comments for every positive one. Listen, I don't... Like, I always say that 67% of statistics are unreliable. I don't know if that's true or not. But listen, I mean, there, there's just something, like, practically where you go, when someone's breathing life into you and encouraging you and going, man, you're doing great, right? You can do it. Like, don't quit. I see something in you. I'm cheering for you. Like, that is life-giving. It's life-giving in marriage. It's life-giving in business. Author Alan McGinnis said, people have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag them to be. Right? So how... 
How do we, as a people, encourage one another? How do we encourage one another? Three ways. We encourage one another with truthful compliment and praise. We encourage one another with truthful compliment and praise. What this means is that we are not liars who blow smoke. We, we, we don't want to just make up stuff so someone can feel better for a second. We want to speak truth into someone's life, but sometimes speaking truth is just complimenting someone or, or praising them, coming alongside of them and encouraging them, even in a small way. Uh, last week, I don't know if you remember or not, but I wore a sweater to church. That was a big deal. It wasn't a holiday. I wore a gray sweater, and one of my friends uh, you would know him if I mentioned his name. He is the best-dressed dude at the church, and it's not even close. We were out in the hallway, and he looked at me, and he's like, James, is that a new gray sweater? And I'm like, well, like, no, it's, it's not. I mean, I've had it for a few years, but I never, but I never wear it. And he goes, he goes, I like it, man. Like, you, you look good. Now listen, I'm 41 years old. I'm not vain. This isn't a fashion show. None of that ultimately matters. But I got to tell you, like when I walked away from that conversation, I played it cool. I played it cool, but inside I was like, yeah, gray sweater. Like I felt good because someone took time to, to notice. Right, and so sometimes as the people of God, we take time to notice. We, we encourage people with appropriate compliment and praise. Again, we're not, we're not blowing smoke. Proverbs says a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. And so we're, we're not flattering just for the sake of flattering. But there is a time and a place to come alongside and just encourage someone, compliment someone, praise someone. Another way that we encourage the people of God is with the Word of God. We encourage the people of God with the Word of God. Scripture says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Right? The scriptures, the Bible does a whole lot of things. The Bible shows us our need. The Bible gives us law. The Bible gives us gospel uh, the Bible challenges us. The Bible uh, convicts us. The Bible conforms us. But one of the things that Scripture does is encourages us. Like God gave us this book to encourage us through the encouragement of the Scriptures. We might have hope. And so one of the ways that we encourage the people of God is with the Word of God. We take the truth that we find here and we impart it uh, to someone else to other people. I was texting with a friend uh, the other week, and this gentleman has uh, experienced or been experiencing a number of significant changes uh, in his life. He's, he's making uh, s some really healthy choices and changes, and we're kind of celebrating it as we see it. And he wrote me this text message, and he said this. He said, James, 22 weeks now. It's hard, but I can't complain Heaven follows this. And I just love that. And I love this sense of like, there's, 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 there's wrestling, and he's like, in heaven follows this. And I thought of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, uh, we might live for him. Right? So as the people of God, we take uh, the word of God and impart it uh, to others so that we might breathe hope uh, into them. Uh, lastly, one of the ways that we encourage people is that we um, thoughtfully, uh, we encourage one another thoughtfully toward love and good works. We encourage one another thoughtfully toward love and good works. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another uh, to love and good works. That, that word there, consider, has the idea of um, to perceive closely or to give thoughtful attention in how to stir one another up. Like put, put some thought into it. Uh, come alongside people and offer to them encouragement uh, based on what you know of that person. Consider, think about it. Author John Trent tells a story about a young father whose daughter was going through uh, the terrible twos. Uh, they were having a pretty hard time with their uh, daughter. She was cute but strong-willed and uh, in some, uh, some ways more than they could handle. And so he had this great idea that he was going to take his daughter out uh, for a pancake breakfast and speak uh, into her life. And so that's what he did. Over pancakes, he told her, Jenny, I want you to know how much I love you and how special you are to mom uh, and me. We prayed for you for years, and now that you're here and growing up to be such a wonderful girl, we couldn't be more proud of you. When he had finished, his daughter looked up at him and said this, Longer, Daddy, longer. And so he did it again. He started speaking into her life again, and then he stopped, and she said the same thing again, Longer, Daddy, longer. So he did it again. And then he stopped, and she said it again longer, Daddy. Longer. Isn't that what we, like, long for? Like, for, for someone to speak courage into our hearts and into our lives. I tell you, when, when people do that, it changes you. It, it breathes life into you. I've experienced that in my own life. I trust that you have experienced it in yours. Listen, when that happens, because it will happen, if we live this out as a people of God, there will be voices that God sends into our hearts and lives that speaks truth and encourages us. And so I want us to be a people who receive uh, what someone else gives to us. And so I want to ask you to do something uh, right now. I want you to kind of like stretch out your hands like this. Go ahead. I laughed when I was thinking about this. I'm like, this is going to be a good way to identify uh, the recovering Baptists. They're going to be right here. They're not going to move. My charismatic friends are going to be here. And then my Presbyterian friends are going to do this. They're like, I ain't playing your game. Go ahead. Go ahead. When, when, when someone speaks into our heart, into our life, we, we receive. We receive what has been given. When I look out here this morning, I am reminded of the countless people here who God has used to speak into my own heart and into my own life. I see Jorge right here. Jorge here reminds me of uh, the good work of God in changing hearts and lives. You have been a brother uh, to me for 10 years, man, and I give God thanks and praise for the good work that he has done in your heart and in your life. I see Phil over here. Phil lives life like he's a 10-year-old in a bumper car. 
which means there's no break. There's a gas pedal. It's to the floor. He is all in, and he's not stopping uh, for anyone or anything. Right? He just lives life like that. But one of the things that you probably don't know about Phil is that he is one of the most teachable dudes that you can be around. And so he'll ask you a question and go, what are you looking for? Or how can I get better? Or how can I do that differently? And he receives it, and then he applies it to his life. It takes great humility to do that. I think about Anne and how many times Anne has sent a note or an email to Melissa and I to say, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And I can't tell you how encouraging and life-giving it is to be able to receive that from someone. I see Russ over there who did not want to stick his hands out. He was one of the guys that I was talking about. He has been faithful, faithful, faithful in pouring into our guys on Wednesday mornings and in our gathering hour on Sunday morning now for quite some time. And I, and I notice and I see your faithfulness, and it is encouraging uh, to me. It's encouraging to me. I look over there and I see Courtney. I don't know if you've met Courtney before, but she has like passion and faith and spades. Right? If you, if you, if you need some extra, just go have a conversation with her. Uh, she'll breathe life into you. I think about John and Heidi Courant, uh, who have been here for 13 years. And I can't tell you, there is no other place on the planet where I feel... Uh, at, at peace and joy than in your kitchen. Just sitting there and doing life with you. have consistently opened up your doors, not only to me, uh, but to others. And I notice it's such an encouragement to me. I see Doug and Linda right there. You guys don't know Doug and Linda. Doug and Linda are friends of the Krantz, but they're friends of, of Melissa and me too. And I would even venture to say maybe better friends now. Arguably. Doug's a pastor in California, and I was listening to his Christmas message on exile. His Christmas message on exile. We were driving to Michigan, and I have tears in my eyes, and Melissa's like, what in the world are you doing? And I said, Melissa, I said, one of the things that I love about the body of Christ is every time you hear a different voice, I feel like God is just like showing you something different about himself. And I said, I gotta tell you, every time I hear Doug preach, I think that God loves me. And that is life-giving. I see Todd and Susan Nepper. They were here in the very beginning. They're probably cringing right now that I even mentioned their names. Todd Nepper, seven and a half years ago, had breakfast with me at La Madeline off of 77. God was doing a work in my heart. I don't even know if he knew it or not. But he asked me a question. I'll never forget it. He said, James, what do you want to do a year from now? Because you cannot continue to do what you're doing now. And just the fact that someone came alongside of me as I faced my own fears and insecurities, it was life-giving to me. And that was so encouraging. I see Al over there who, who has demonstrated and lived out a life of prayer. And, he, and he's reminded me that, that the, the hope for the church is, is not in our fancy programs or smoke and mirrors. It is God moving. Period. And that has been life-giving uh, to me. I see, I see Melissa down front, and who's so patient and kind with me. She is an incredible, incredible mom. She's intentional. 
She's patient. She's kind with her kids. And she puts up with me. That's not easy. She is a godly woman, and your life encourages me. Listen, this room is filled, filled with people who, if you had a conversation with them, they might just say that you, in your life, has encouraged and breathed life into them. And so listen, Christ Point, what if, what if, what if we were a people who encouraged one another? What if we just came alongside one another and breathed life and complimented and praised one another? What if we took the living and active word of God and brought it to the people of God and said, just let God's word encourage you? What if we were thoughtful about the ways uh, that we could come alongside and encourage one another? This, uh, this would be a beautiful place. And by God's grace, uh, I believe that it is.